Okay. So Maddie, your homework is to put that on the calendar for next week. You know, we don't usually give homework, but by golly, (laughs) today we are going to start. Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 342. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. First, the heat index at our place reminds me daily that we are still in peak summer, but before we know it, it's going to be time to start talking fall books. If you're starting to feel that excitement for cooler nights, pumpkin spice, and all things fall, save the date for our fall book preview. This is an exclusive live event for our book club and Patreon communities. Our seasonal preview is a fun, relaxed conversation where I share a curated list of the fall's exciting new releases so you can plan your to-be-read list. Plus, you'll get a handy printable to tuck into your tote for your next library or bookstore trip. Patreon members, mark your calendars for Thursday, September 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And if you're not a member yet, pencil us in on your calendar, then head over to patreon.com slash what should I read next to sign up now. Our fall is going to be so much fun. After the fall book preview in September, we'll also be getting together in October for our first ever evening of What Should I Read Next trivia. We have been planning this for a long time and it is going to be great. Join today at patreon.com slash what should I read next. Readers, today's guest, Maddie James, shares a struggle that feels all too familiar to many readers, finding time to read, which to her is something she loves to do and something that's important to her work. She's looking for ways to bring more of the nonfiction she enjoys into her everyday life. Reading has always played a big role in Maddie's life, from a childhood when her father nurtured her as an emerging reader to her professional career, where she relies on books to inspire and guide her own business that you will hear about today, to her own forthcoming book coming out later this month called Everyday Magic. Maddie's always on the hunt for books that invite her to wrestle with her ideas and assumptions and that actually have a life-changing impact on her own work. And when she finds those books that make a difference, she enjoys enthusiastically recommending them to her online community. In our conversation today, we explore how to make the most of the time you spend reading, even when you only have a few minutes. And of course, I suggest nonfiction titles for Maddie that I hope will make a real difference, not just in her reading life, but in all her life and work. Let's get to it. Maddie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anne. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, I can't wait to talk about your reading life today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Okay. Maddie, where are you in the world this morning? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's so hot. <laughs> oh. I love it in the morning, and I'm like, oh, is it 87 degrees? I love that. That's great. Mm-hmm. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, where it's a zillion and four. It is so hot. We've been having like a heat wave, right? It just like as a country, at least on the East Coast, I feel like it's been out of control like the last week. Unbearably hot. It's not supposed to be this hot this time of year. My kids go to school year round, so they're all in school right now. And that's why you actually have quiet and complete utter silence in the background, which is amazing. (laughs) I'm sure that plays into your work life and your reading life. I'm curious to hear more. (laughs) Maddie, what brought you to Atlanta? I actually 
actually spent half of my childhood here. So long story short, I am first American generation of a Liberian family. My parents moved here in 1980 because my dad had gotten a full scholarship to The Ohio State University um, in chemical engineering. Funny enough, he became a civil engineer, but, you know, I guess engineering is engineering. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, don't let your dad hear you say that. Yeah, I was like, that sounds good until he hears this episode. So they moved here and then um, they, they had me four years later and I was born in Huntsville, Alabama. Funny enough, they were living in Toronto at the time, but I was born on an extended business trip. After uh, Huntsville, we just moved around a lot. Like I went to preschool in Saudi Arabia, spent time in London. So like pretty much before I was five, I had traveled to at least five different countries, which was pretty amazing. And then we moved to Atlanta because most of my parents' relatives, like they had immigrated to Atlanta when they came to the States. And so Atlanta has pretty much been home base for our family for the last couple of decades, if not the last three decades. And all the kids were born here. So this is home. Does that peripatetic childhood factor into how you see yourself? Is, is that part of your identity? Absolutely. I just had a phone call with my best friend. Like, and anyway, we were laughing because I was like, I didn't realize this phone call was going to be deep. I just hadn't talked to her for like a few days. I was just kind of telling her like my journey throughout business right now. I'm like learning some really hard CEO lessons, right? Just like attention to detail, <laughs> right. and time management. I'm like, okay, I just got to learn these lessons. And I was telling her, I was like, I just need to take myself more seriously. Like I've been doing this for a while and taking myself seriously and kind of carrying myself with like an air of confidence isn't a bad thing. Cause I was saying, I was like, well, you know, I try not to be elitist. And she's like, but if you've done the work, she was like, if you're not using your eliteness, you know, in a, in a harmful way, she was like, there's nothing wrong with being elite. And, you know, I kind of started tearing up because I was like, for so my goal is always to be accepted because I moved so much around as a kid. So yeah. anytime I would go somewhere, I was one, I was always the token black kid in all white environments. So I was always trying to be accepted, one, not only as the new person, but the only black person. And so I would always be new. So I would automatically just try to blend in or try to make sure people liked me. And so being accepted just became a part of my DNA. You know, I moved around pretty much every two years of my life until I was 14 and then moved again when I was 18. So it just was a lot. Oh, that sounds hard. I'm so glad that you're able to put words to that experience now. Yeah. Is that how you would have described it when you were a child moving all the time? No, not at all. I think just between, honestly, therapy and then even just getting to talk to my parents about it, you know, because I also then asked them because I was like, you guys were parents, you guys were immigrants, you guys like, how did that, like, how was that, you know? And my dad was just doing the best he could, right? Like in many of those instances, just like now, you know, those all white environments were often where like th those schools had higher marks and stuff. So he was just going off of like, I got to get my kids in the best school. You know, I'm like, yeah. he's a West African father. That's all he thought about scholastics. He's like, get in the best schools, get the best grades. That was his whole thing. But I don't think he realized, and I did get to have a talk to him about it a couple of years ago where I was like, that was a really hard experience for me and my sister. And we talk about it all the time because it was like, one, we always had to be accepted, but then we were always noticeably different. That was hard. and But I think he, we also had the most insanely wonderful childhood. And I talk about that, you know, in my book. But, you know, at the same time, I look back and I'm like, okay, these are where some of these behaviors or mindsets come from. And I've had to do some unlearning and relearning. Um, and so shout out to my therapist. 
Yes, indeed. I heartily <laughs> co-sign that. Maddie, you referenced being a business owner and how important some of these discoveries are to you, not just personally, but also professionally. Tell our listeners a little bit more about what it is you do. What are, You are the CEO of quite a lot, I think is what the poster says, but <laughs> tell us what you do. So I'm the CEO of the Maddie James Company in Boss Fluence. So with the Maddie James Company, we create lifestyle content and products and experiences really to just help women live their very best lives on their terms. I think so many times, which I just kind of explained, we're doing things because we're trying to be accepted or we're thinking about what other people think. And I really want women to find what works best for them because they think so, not because their mom thinks so or their best friend from high school or this person or that person or the internet told you. So we really try to create content that really encourages. That's my biggest thing. That's like literally within our like company, like handbook throughout. We're just like the goal here is to create content, say things, do things that encourage women. I think encouragement is probably not only a professional value of mine, but also personal. And then Boss Fluence is the educational side of my business. So that's where I teach content creators and influencers how to not only create content, but also to pitch brands. So if they want to take this content creation journey on a full-time level, they can do so. I love the way you put that. And I love how your mission of your organization relates so much to what we do with What Should I Read Next, where we are helping readers of all ages create their very best reading lives on their own terms. Like if you come to us on the show and you want to read more, we can help you do that. But it's not a given that that's what you want. And if you want to understand and appreciate all the Booker Prize winners, we can help you do that. But (laughs) you shouldn't read those books just because everyone else feels like they're doing that or says you should or yeah, like, yes, create the thing that makes you happy on your terms. I love it. Absolutely. So you talked about growing up the daughter of a West African father who had very high standards. I'm wondering what this meant for your reading life. What, what were you like as a kid reader? I read a lot because daddy always encouraged it. And funny enough, just when I became a parent, I started doing some research and basically kids who have dads who read to them actually end up excelling like in language pretty quickly. I don't know what it is about your dad reading to you, but that was really my experience. My dad read to me. Thanks, dad. Yeah. And yeah. And, you know, they end up being really great communicators and different things like that. Like there's like tons of studies based off of this. But my dad was one who not only read to us, but then just encouraged us to read. And he always had both personal and professional development books in his office. And just growing up, whether we lived in a three bedroom apartment or a six bedroom house, my My dad always had an office space. He just always had these really cool. I I saw Think and Grow Rich in there. I saw uh, the first book he like I asked to borrow from his office was How to Read Twice as Fast, which was just like because I I had was like about to leave middle school and enter high school, and I was like, okay, we are doing a lot more homework and stuff. Like, how do I read faster? But it was just fascinating to me that you had these things, books that you could read and learn from and get smarter from and get better from. I just thought it was absolute, it was just fascinating to me. And because he always had them around, it was very permissive. Like reading was just something that he would even like during the summer, like for us to watch less TV, he would tell us like, I think like once I got to middle school, it was like, if you get a book for every hundred pages you write, I'll give you a dollar. So I would be in that library every (laughs) single week during summer vacation, you know? And for me, I'm 
competitive. So for my personality, it worked. Like I was like, okay, bet I need $15. So let's see how many books I can read to get this $15. So it was really great. And we were always really encouraged. My mom as well, she always had magazines around. And so I think that's why I ended up like growing up wanting to be a magazine editor, but we were always surrounded by literature and books. And I was always really encouraged by that. Uh, Tell me more about wanting to be a magazine editor. What appealed to you about that? I just thought it was so cool growing up, especially like, you know, mom, right? Is it Women's Day and Family Circle? There we go. Wow, that's taking me back. Right? In style. And then like, just like, especially like when I was in middle school and high school, I got all of the teen magazines. There used to be teen people and was it Tiger Beat? And so like all of my favorite, like I was obsessed and still am obsessed with Usher. He was my favorite singer and I had the hugest crush on him because why would you not? Yeah. So I just read a lot of magazines and I just thought it would be cool to like be over this really cool thing that not only gave you something to read, but something to look at. I was fascinated when Mm -hmm. like I saw cover stories. I just thought it would be cool to run something like that. I was the kid who would like look at the mass heads. Like I knew every editor in chief of like all of like the women's lifestyle magazines. It was just really interesting to me. And I just thought it would be cool to be that woman and especially a woman that looks like me. Cause like in the nineties, it wasn't quite as popular. Like of course, Essence Magazine mm-hmm. always had, uh, you know, African-American women or black women who were, you know, in charge. But I even remember reading Vibe Magazine because I was such a huge fan of like hip hop and R&B and a lot of my favorite artists would cover Vibe Magazine. And I remember Danielle Smith becoming the first female editor in chief of that magazine. And now Danielle and I follow each other on Instagram and I, it, it is so cool. It's just cool to me that she even knows who I am. Like, it, it, like that kind of stuff really excites me. So yeah, magazines have always been fascinating to me and I still love them to this day. Yeah. So you had pleasure reading, but also you had books that you knew were informative and inspirational and would help your your dad and then you in the workplace. And you had things to read that weren't just books like magazines. Absolutely. I'm a huge magazine reader. And I know that like avid readers will read anything that's around, like they'll read the cereal box if there's nothing <laughs> else to read. So I'm picturing young Maddie with her family circle. No, I'd rather picture you with the vibe, actually. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It just it just felt cool. Like, you know, and like growing up, like my parents were, especially my dad, he was a disciplinarian. So we couldn't watch TV on weekdays during the school year. The limits on like the MTV and the BET content until we got to a certain age. He just like kept us like in a really safe, sheltered bubble. And so I felt like if I was reading it, he had a little bit more leniency towards it. So I think that was also my way to kind of escape and learn about new things, whether it was about pop culture, news. I thought it was really cool because newspapers were cool to me too. Like at first as a kid, it was the comics, but then like Mm -hmm. learning about the news through the newspaper. Maddie, tell me what reading means to you as an adult. What role does it have in your life these days? It really is an opportunity for me to learn. I really, I just love learning. You know, when I went to college, you know, I mentioned that I dropped out. I'm not really someone to learn in a traditional, traditional way. Like if you force me to read certain books, I'm not really good if it feels forced, which, you know, my four-year-old has that kind of personality as well. So if it feels forced, there's going to be pushback. Um, I'm definitely that way. But I love just learning about a variety of things. Like, you know, whether I want to learn about how to be a better parent or if I want to learn how to create a charcuterie board with Oreos. Like, I just feel like I can read like anything. It's just fascinating to me that you can just get information if you just read it. 
I can't explain it. I know that might seem very elementary, but I, I do think the simplicity, yet the power of reading is what fascinates me. And for me, it is an opportunity to learn because I'm not in school. You know, um, I've been doing what I do for a while, but I am still fascinated whenever I put myself in a position to study my craft and get better at anything, whether it is professionally or personally. So it's really an opportunity for me to learn. And that's really exciting to me. Yeah, I hear you. And inspiration is everywhere. And how fortunate to be in a position where you can use it in, yeah, in your work. Absolutely. I mean, I do enjoy reading about going down a fascinating rabbit hole for no other reason than I'm curious. And it's wonderful to discover new things that I had no idea about. And I, I will say, listeners and Maddie, that this is an impulse that has gotten me into trouble. Like I learned <laughs> only in the course of writing my book, Don't Overthink It, that that intellectual mm. curiosity, which I always assumed was just an unalloyed good thing, actually can bring in a lot of overwhelm and distraction and mm -hmm. scope creep and all the things that aren't welcome in your day, your business, your life sometimes. Yep. And yet when properly channeled, like, yeah, you get to learn about all these amazing things and discover the inspiration that really is everywhere. I'd love to hear what your reading life is like these days. Give me a feel for what you're drawn to and the rhythms of actually getting to, I almost said sit down and read it, but that may not be the case at all. Yeah. I mean, I, ideally it is, but I feel like I'm, I'm usually on the move and this is a very busy season in my life. So I am listening to books a lot more. Uh, and this is a habit that I feel like my husband has mastered. It's pretty impressive. Here's the thing, Anne. I'm not a great listener. I definitely am a better speaker than I am a listener. And so I think at first listening to audiobooks was like hard because I because my mind will just start to drift. And then I'm mm -hmm. like, wait, what happened? And then, you know, luckily I can just start the, the chapter over or go back a couple of seconds. But yeah, so audiobooks in the beginning were really uh, tough for me. And then what I realized is that I can listen to an audiobook if I'm doing another task that doesn't require my undivided attention. I think sometimes I would try to like listen to an audiobook while doing something like fairly serious or required like attention. You know, if I'm loading the dishwasher, I can listen to an audiobook because, you know, I'm not dealing with anything that's like heavy machinery or anything like, you know, dangerous per se. Audiobooks as of late, especially within the last 18 months, mm -hmm. has become my thing. And then typically I like to read in the morning. Every time I read at night, it's just like me lulling myself to sleep. So <laughs> I like to read. It's like, girl, you're going to fall asleep. Like, you know this. So don't even crack open a book. Usually I use the nighttime to like catch up on a TV show or, you know, somebody I usually watch on like YouTube or something like that. But I love reading first thing in the morning because I, I feel like if I read something and I learn, it almost sets like this unofficial theme of my day. And I, I kind of go in like very inspired and encouraged and kind of using what I learned in my life. That's so interesting that you said it sets the theme for your day, because mm -hmm. I know that you like to reread books to really mm -hmm. drive a point home during a certain season. Yes. I feel like when you're reading something, you're paying attention to the thing you're reading about. And so if I want to be focused 
in a season on organization or family mm-hmm. issues or parenting or overhauling my business or productivity <laughs> or deep work, you know, like returning right. to a book that talks about its importance reminds me of the things that I kind of know, but don't yeah. care about as much until I pick up that book again. It does keep things in front of mind. Like you said, if it's like a specific topic. So if I'm like, okay, we've gotten kind of lenient with the budget. I'm usually reading a money book, you know, <laughs> I need to, you know, I'm like, okay, let me get my life together. Um, yeah. So just in any capacity, I, I absolutely approach it the same way. And I think if it's that one of those first things in my mind as the day starts, I retain the information a lot more if I read in the morning than at mm-hmm. night. At night, like I said, it's it's not looking great. You know, I'm not saying it's impossible, but you'll have better results if I read something in the morning or even in the day. Um, I One thing I've gotten away from and I do want to get back Two is just like actually putting reading time on my schedule. I was really good at that, like when the pandemic first started and mm-hmm. last year, but I kind of have fell out of that practice and that that's something I want to get back into because when I would see it on my calendar, I would honor that mm-hmm. time. And I think what we do so often is that we underestimate a little bit of time. Like I might want to read for an hour, but if I only have 15 minutes, does that make the reading less valuable? And truthfully, it doesn't, right? Because I might not, I might not be in a season where I have two hours, you know, to read every single day. But if I have 15 minutes, like over the course of a week, that adds up to about an hour, hour and a half. So I think it's about just keeping things in perspective. That's definitely something I always have to do. But right now it is cracking a physical book open in the morning or listening to an audio book in the afternoon and, and evening. And the wonderful thing about books is they are there for you when you were ready for them. Exactly. Maddie, I would love to hear more about the details of what you found yourself drawn to in your reading life and what you really enjoy. Are you ready to talk about your books? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you may enjoy reading next. Maddie, how did you choose these books for today? I'm always recommending books to my audience, which it's it's like probably one of my favorite things to do. And people are always like, oh my gosh, you've recommended so many great books that have like helped me in my life or my business. And that's always exciting when I hear that. So I, I think the two things I did is I thought I thought about what I like adamantly recommend uh, to my followers. And then I thought about the things I reread, you know, and just like kind of created like an epiphany for me. So that's how I kind of picked those three books. And then of course, like, you know, what I'm reading lately, I literally finished it. I think, did I finish it on Monday or Tuesday of this week? So literally I finished it just a couple of days ago. So I'm just so excited about it. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like (laughs) it's one of those books. In your brain. Can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. I'm so excited to talk about it. I love it. Okay, Maddie, tell me about the first book you really love. The first book I really love, and, you know, I think I've already kind of foreshadowed that I love professional development or, you know, even business development books. So it's all about nonfiction for me is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, or as I like to call him, Brother James. I don't know him at all, but he just got me together with that book so much where I was like, you're now an unofficial relative. James just got me together. I love consistency. Like anybody who has taken any of my courses or anything like that, I love consistency. And I think I'm really attached to it because it's not something that naturally, it doesn't come natural to me. Like it is really so hard to be consistent. I think for any of us, right? No matter how long you've been doing something, it just requires an effort um, and and a level of 
of commitment to be consistent. But I loved Atomic Habits because he gets into the psychology and the science of like building a habit which really fascinated me. And I think what I loved is just getting an understanding of how a habit forms, what happens to your brain when a habit forms, whether it's good or bad. And I love that he told his story and made sense of it too. I I mean, I think all of us love stories, but I was really fascinated by his. It just gets me together and I read it once a year, usually in the in the first quarter, just to kind of like say, yeah. okay, you know, because then I can attach certain habits to the certain goals I have and it just kind of clears my mind. It's 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 so good. I get something new from it. Like every year that I read it, I use a different color highlighter because I'm that girl. Like we're highlighting. It's like such a fascinating document. It's good. It's good. I like I love looking. I'm like, oh, last year I used green and this year I'm using blue. And then I'm like looking at like what resonated to me in one season. And now what resonates to me in this current season, and it's always something different, right? Because I think we also underestimate how much we change and grow in a year. And so if you're reading something once a year or even once every other year, it's really fascinating to see how a book has changed you and changes you in a new way every time you approach it. But Atomic Habits is just, it's just delicious. Like if you're looking to get more consistent and understand the actual process that happens to building a habit, not just writing it down, and you end up giving yourself, one, a lot more grace because you understand what your mind actually goes through to actually get to the point of making a habit. You know, I feel like I just read that book when it was new, but it's been out since 2018. So you yeah. have a lot of colors in that book by now. I do. I do. I think I think we're in like the fourth <laughs> highlighter color now. I just loved how much research he did because I'm not a research kind of person in the sense where like, uh, you know, I'm not really scientific. Like I'm definitely a creative. So mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated when people can give me data and research behind something that seems so surface. And and he actually went a lot deeper. So somebody who does the work and gives you the juiciest parts. Exactly. Exactly. So I loved it. Okay. I'm interested if this book has some characteristics that are typical of what you love to read. So it brought you understanding and clarity. It sounds like the content was familiar. Like, you know, the things that he's talking about, and yet the content surprised you the way he talked about it, the things he pointed out and told you you could try to do in your life, that this book made a real practical difference in your life and your business. Yes. Here's what I liked about it. He essentially gives you this like I don't know if it's like a framework, but basically like how you adopt new habits in a good way in four steps, right? So I I believe it's cue, craving, response, and reward. And it's like, it helps me process again the information gave me, right? Like that's how, like I wrote my own book. Like I'm like, literally you have, like, this is a framework. I usually give you an acronym or alliteration because we all tend to remember things if it's in a song or if it's like, you know, it spells out some kind of word or if it's alliterated in some way. I feel like those are ways we retain things. And I like that he gave us these four kind of steps uh, or, you know, and take us through essentially this habit building process. So anytime somebody says, here's a framework or here's a process or here's an acronym or something like that, I'm going to remember it. Okay. Awesome. That's helpful. Maddie, tell me about another book you really loved. Okay. So the book that got my life together in 2020, which is when we all needed our life (laughs) together, right? Right. Where it was like, I need fixed (laughs) in 2020 is The Big Leap. I, I can't say enough good things about The Big Leap. I believe the author is uh, Gay Hendricks. And Mm -hmm. 
it just blew my mind. It felt just like a really good, thorough therapy session, if I'm being honest, right? Like, because he just talks about so much and, and asking yourself questions that require you to be really honest and not just surface. I, I just uh, show up to my life differently. And I think I'm a fairly confident person. I'm like, I don't think I, I'm somebody who's like down on my luck or anything like that. But I got to say that definitely gave me a confidence boost because I just had a I had a new level of self-awareness, which I think always serves us well. It was really, really well done. He gets deep. He gets deep. And I just he just really was great. And I feel like everybody who I've recommended it to and who has read it has been like, man, when you find your zone of genius, it's a new level of freedom. I can't even explain it. And then you then your goal now is to, in any aspect in your life now, I try to operate in my zone of genius. I think too many times we try to operate in these zones of competence. Like I need to get better at something I'm not good at. Like I'm not great at certain things, but it's just because I'm not supposed to be, right? Like, you know, I'm not irresponsible or anything like that by not necessarily getting better in those. But I think what the big leap helped me understand is like, whatever your zone of genius is, lean into that. You know, if you're good at speaking, speak. Like if you have been trying to convince yourself that you're only, and I use that with air quotes, you're only good at talking, but you want to get better at writing or whatnot. It's like, let's start to ask ourselves some questions. Like, why do you want to get better at writing? Right? <laughs> like, if you're just good at talking, then talk your face off. Like, be good at that. That's what you were designed to do. Maddie, it sounds also like you enjoy a book that really invites you, almost compels you to like wrestle with it and the material. Yes. Okay. Tell me about the final book that you loved. This one is also the book that I just finished reading, the last book. I read What You Do Is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz. Oh my gosh, just amazing. It's all about culture because culture is really important. I think about culture as far as like the culture of my home, culture within my friendships, culture within my company, culture within my marriage. There's so many great examples and stories. I mean, we talked about everything from like, because this, this gentleman has had many companies, founded many companies and sold them. and But he, he doesn't even just dig deep into his personal stories and experiences within business, but he also like breaks down these really fascinating stories, even from Genghis Khan to uh, there's this other gentleman that he talks about who's just fascinating, who like went to prison for like a really violent crime, but how he like changed the prison system just by like creating a culture, like for the better. And so like when, not only when he left, did he do extremely well, he became a New York Times bestselling author, Oprah interviewed him, but all the men who were like essentially in his gang all went and did amazing things because of the culture that he created. And I was so blown away by that because I'm like, if you can create a culture that essentially makes people better, let's do that, you know, but it's it, like what you do is who you are, right? So I think a lot of times we have this idea of who we want to be or who we are, but it's based off of not only the decisions that you make, but the actions that you take. And he talked about the difference between values and virtues, you know, values are kind of like these I guess like ideals, right, that we have, but virtues are based on actions you actually take, not whether it's individually or collectively. I was just so fascinated by how he broke down culture and how it works, whether it's in different industries or within your home, within uh, a certain generation. 
it absolutely blew me away. It taught me so much that I want to apply immediately that I have already started applying, um, funny enough. And I, I actually listened to it on Audible. I didn't read it physically. I read the mm-hmm. other two books physically. But the the person who read the book was not the author, but gosh, he did such an incredible job getting the magic of the book across. And again, I'm noticing that you love a book that makes you think about all kinds of facets of your life. I especially appreciate, thank you for for mentioning that friendship, family, marriage, that those are all cultures. Absolutely. I mean, this book has the word business in the subtitle. And yet listeners, so often that is just for marketing and SEO. Like a great book has applications far beyond just one little corner of your life or the bookstore. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. You know, I, I believe two things. I think both like if, if you are married, but your marriage and your family are one, the first businesses or organizations you'll ever be a part of and, and arguably the most important, right? So to me, I always talk about, I talk about this in my book. I say, knowing how to handle home first before you handle business is perfect. If you can't handle home, you won't be able to handle business. So even though I do like to read a lot of business books, professional development books, like I also think about like building the culture in my home with my husband and our three children is the first priority. And then if I can carry on something that matters in my company, great. But like, who cares if I can build a great culture with like in my company, if I can't do it at home, at least that's how I think about it. Like we just have to keep things in order because when things are out of order, they don't work, which is why when something doesn't work, there's an out of order sign on it. And what you know and who you are, like you, you bring those things to your whole life, not just little buckets of it. Exactly. Maddie, now tell me about a book that wasn't right for you. You know, I really wanted to like this book. I really did because I think that the title is excellent, which is what drew me in, which is often what draws most of us in when it comes to a book, if it's not the solely the author, right? And that book is How to Talk So People Will Listen by Steve Brown. You know what it is? He just couldn't keep my attention. And so I don't know, maybe this was a book maybe I should have listened to because this was a book I physically read. And it took me so long. And to be honest, I didn't even finish it. I think I have one more chapter left. Are you going to read that last chapter? I'm going to read it to be completely fair, you know. Um, But I mean, when I say I pushed through, I'm not even exaggerating. It was like a three-month ordeal. And I'm like, even in my busiest months, it's like, it doesn't take me three months to read a book. Like this was just almost shameful to some point. It just, I was just pushing through and it just felt like pulling teeth. And I just, you know, maybe we just didn't have compatible tones or voices. Like it just like, and funny enough for this book to be how to talk so people will listen. He just did not keep my attention. Um, You know, there are a couple of good points here and there. Like I, I do remember highlighting them. I can't remember them off the top of my head. It just didn't work for me. I don't think you're losing sleep at night over this, but (laughs) listeners, there is no shame in that. No shame at all. But that does seem to highlight a mismatch between you and the book. And that's good to know. I do have books that I've started that start out slow for me because this is this the same book. It starts out pretty slow, but then as it goes on, it gets better, you know. This book did not have that turnaround for me that there was no climax. It just stayed pretty, (laughs) pretty much the same level the whole way for me. Maddie, what are you reading right now? I just started, I believe it's The High Five Habit by Mel Robbins. I really like it. I'm just a couple of chapters in. 
I think right now, because I'm in a season of being a first-time author promoting my book, and when you do something for the first time, I think just because you're human, there's doubts, right? And this book is giving me permission to push through those doubts and really think of myself in a high way. It's really encouraging me. Um, I have known about Mel Robbins for a while, but I have never read any of her books. And I'm so glad that I started this one. It's like exactly the book I need for myself in this season. Take control of your life with one simple habit is the subtitle. That already sounds like you, Maddie. Yeah, no, it's totally my vibe. Mel is my girl. We're friends in my head (laughs) because I'm listening to it. So she has this way of being overwhelmingly affirming and positive without it feeling inauthentic. And I think that's really great. And I think, because I think sometimes, especially nowadays, I think in just like the climate of social media and entertainment as a whole, I think like, you know, if it's joyful and positive, sometimes it can be kind of side-eyed in a way where it's like, well, is this real? Is this authentic? But I do think that you do need this unapologetic approach to affirming yourself and, and, and telling yourself that you're proud of yourself. And I, I, I mentioned earlier that I spoke to my best friend and I was telling her, I was like, the rule I made for myself this week was like, I've got to be super deliberate with my self-talk. Like I can, I can hold myself accountable because it's important to take ownership, whether you do something great or not so great. The ownership always needs to be there, but the self-talk has to be positive. Like you don't get to berate yourself or like criticize yourself to shreds to the point where you no longer have confidence to move forward on something. And so I'm realizing with this book alone that the self-talk is so massive and that, you know, something that we all have opportunities with. Maddie, what do you want to be different in your reading life right now? I think I mentioned it earlier. I want to like schedule more reading time because whenever I schedule it, I read a lot more. I've made a list of what I want to read and I shared it on my blog and I probably have like maybe touched five of those books. And I think there's like 30. So I just want to get, a. I want to get more consistent with it. And I do want to welcome more audiobooks, which I definitely think I, I am being very deliberate with. I'm like, I just want to read more. I love it. It makes me happy. And it's just something I haven't been deliberate about. And so I really, you know, starting this week, I've, I've been much more deliberate. Like, okay, I only have 15 minutes, but let me turn on that high five habit. And again, we underestimate 15 minutes and overestimate an hour all the time. And so I just want to get better at, even if it's just a slither of reading time, that slither matters. That slice mm-hmm. of reading time is is so great. And it brings me so much joy. And I think that's what I'm underestimating. I'm like, a little bit of joy is better than none just because you can't get an hour of it. I definitely want to be much more deliberate about that. How are you thinking about scheduling in that additional reading time? Do you have ideas you're tossing around? Yeah. So kind of just making sure that once we establish like my weekly schedule, usually on Friday, I look at that. And so just kind of looking at my schedule every Friday and then plugging in when I know I'm going to have energy Mm -hmm. and attention to be able to plug those times in and doing that ahead of time. So once the week starts, instead of trying to do it day by day or in real time, which is actually super draining anytime I make those types of decisions in real time, that I just look at my calendar and it's like, okay, I have an interview at 12, but I don't have anything before that. So I can read, you know, from nine to 10, or I can read here, or I can listen here. And I think not only 
I'm, now that I'm saying it out loud, not only establishing physical reading, even like scheduling like, hey, when you have this free pocket after lunch, take 15 minutes, sit on the porch and just like listen to your audiobook for 15 minutes. So I am going to plug and play both physical reading time and, and audiobook reading time for sure. Maddie, I love, and I just want to highlight for our listeners, um, I think you're well aware that energy and attention are so important when it comes to thinking about, this isn't about matching you with the right book, but matching you with the right moment to actually appreciate and enjoy the books you're reading. So listeners, maybe that applies for you. Think about that as you schedule your reading time. And also making decisions in real time is tough. And the way this comes up most often on the show is... (laughs) I talk about how it's so hard to be in a situation where you have time to read, but you don't have anything to read yet. So you have to make this big decision before you're able to get to the reading itself. And so I appreciate you highlighting how deciding when to read is what is often the obstacle for you. You've kind of given me an idea now because I already have made my annual list. It's Mm -hmm. like maybe even starting to divvy that up by, you know, month or even quarter. Like we plan pretty far in advance with work. So I don't know likely what kind of mood I'm in or what I'll need to be focused on in a certain season. Okay. So Maddie, your homework is to put that on the calendar for next week. You know, we don't usually give homework, but by golly, (laughs) today we are going to start. I'm that, no, I'm taking that homework very seriously. I will definitely do that. I feel like I will uh, text you or message you and say, I've done my homework. I just wanted to make sure you know. You know, accountability is the closing magic chapter in James Clear's Atomic Habits. He would approve. Yes, he would approve. Brother James, as I like to call him, he would approve. <laughs> All right, I love it. Okay, Maddie, let's go back and look at your books. The books you loved were Atomic Habits by James Clear, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, and What You Do Is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz. Not For You, How to Talk So People Will Listen by Steve Brown. And you are on the hunt for personal and professional recommendations that bring you understanding and clarity, that deal with familiar topics, but in surprising ways, and that make a practical difference in your life. Absolutely. Okay. Also, I think we got to highlight that you really like books that make you think, that you engage with, that you wrestle with, that you ponder. That is good for you. Yeah. No, it's exciting. So that's absolutely what I want to do. This book is squarely in your wheelhouse, so much so that I wonder if you have already read it. The book I'm thinking of is 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. It's by Oliver Berkman. Wait, hold on. I feel like I know this book. Is this in my, this might be in my Audible queue. Hold on. Oh, is it 4,000 I, Weeks? I hope it is. Oh my gosh, Oliver Berkman. Yes. I'm like literally screenshotting it to you. I'm going to text it to you because like it's literally in there. And I was like, I feel like this should be, and I almost picked it, but I went with uh, the high five habit first. So I'm so glad you recommended this. I'm absolutely going to read it. Well, it's so nice to have a book on deck because knowing you want to read more, what I've found in talking to so many readers about their reading lives is that when you're excited about not just the book you're reading now, but also the book you're reading next, it gives you another reason to pick up a book and read because you know that like not only is there a good thing happening in the minutes immediately before you, but once you get through it, there's something great on the other side as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm so glad we had this book on the list. So glad. This is the premise. Life is short. 
Each of us on average is alive for only 4,000 weeks. And I have to say that is not math I ever did. I didn't understand the title at first. I had to do a little calculating. So he says that it's impossible to accomplish and experience everything we want to. But instead of this being a cause for like despair and, oh no, what do we do? He says it's actually really freeing because it gives us this built-in framework to decide what is actually worth our time. Something I liked about this is even though he has a lot of very clear and orderly ideas, he also shares openly in a ways that really resonated with me as a reader, thoughts about how we're all just winging it all the time. And if we (laughs) serialize our tasks and plan to spend less time on the things that don't merit it because we put systems into our life, we free up time for the things that do matter Mm. most. It sounds like your jam. Yeah. I mean, everything that you just said it sounds like me. So I'm so excited. I'm just like thinking about the possibilities. I'm like, will I start reading that now? Because that's so exciting. Because I do read more than one book at once. I got another one for you. It's by Amy Morin. It's called 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do. This has a heck of a long subtitle. I'm going to read it to you. Own your power, channel your confidence, and find your authentic voice for a life of meaning and joy. You mentioned that you were competitive. (laughs) I know you're organized, you like things to be structured, and Mm -hmm. I think the very straightforward format of this book will be really appealing to you. I think it will also compel you to pick it up because it's it's divided into 13 neat little chapters. Um, So you can just sit down and knock out the chapter on perfection. But here are some of the things mentally strong women don't do. They don't compare themselves to others. They don't let self-doubt stop them from reaching their goals. They don't avoid tough challenges. They don't overthink everything. They don't fear breaking the rules. I had to read that chapter maybe five times. Oh, yeah. Oldest daughter, good girl right here. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's why we connect. And I'm like, I'm an oldest sister. I'm just like, I can't get out of the people pleasing thing. Our whole team is oldest daughters. It makes us darn good at what we do. And also we've got issues. (laughs) This book will help. Not that I'm saying you have issues. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so funny. Now those are squarely in the beaten path. So now we're going to go off it and I'm going to give you a bonus because 4,000 weeks is already queued up on audible. That doesn't, that doesn't count. Have you read anything by Atul Gawande? Okay. No, I haven't. The book I have in mind for you is called The Checklist Manifesto, How to Get Things Right, which is really compact. This is just a six-hour listen at regular speed if you choose to do this in audio. I love this book. I bought this when I was at my local bookstore on Impulse because I've been meaning to reread it for a while because I loved it that much. I thought, oh, this is so good, so useful, so meaningful, and I couldn't absorb a third of what I needed to take away from it on the first read. And it's one that definitely bears re-reading. Let me start by saying this title both makes sense and is also incredibly boring. (laughs) That matters. It matters. Like part of our job here is to help you overcome the misconceptions that can come with uh, inhospitable title or a cover that just makes you go, no. Right, right, right. So I picked this up because a friend said, no, this book is amazing. You need to just read it anyway forget what you said, but it's brief and engaging. And it's not like, you know what you need? You need to write down your three most important priorities. So you do them. No, it's not that at all. This is about how to successfully live and work in a world that's becoming increasingly, sometimes devastatingly complex. Mm. He starts by saying, we both know too much and too little. We have like so many resources at our fingertips and we are drowning in them. So this Mm. book is about what to do. He's a surgeon by nature. So 
his examples are drawn often, though not always, from really high pressure, high stakes businesses or organizations. Because as a surgeon, he talks about people coming into the ER with devastating wounds and Mm. their medical care being really screwed up because a very simple question wasn't asked. Mm. And so they couldn't figure out how to treat the patient. He talks a lot about flight crews and what happens in the air. I almost feel like I should give a content warning for this because I'm a nervous flyer. But like (laughs) if something is going wrong on an airplane, like you have to think on your feet and figure it out on the fly. And I said, think on your feet because I just finished Anne Hood's memoir, Fly Girl. But no, no, no. What he's saying is it's incredibly hard to think on your feet. You need detailed checklists that will see you through times when every when right. it is crucial you not screw up a single tiny little thing. And yet you're in the worst possible circumstances to be at your best. So he draws all these fascinating examples from medicine and aviation, but also more like mundane, like construction and explains why systems are amazing, why they mm-hmm. are still vul- vulnerable to us screwing things up because we are human and and what we should do about it. And I think this might be both fascinating and also come at things in a way that gets you thinking about your work and your life in a way that you didn't before. Yeah, I'm into this. I love that he's a surgeon. So we're going to slide in one more book. I have recommended this so, so often to friends of mine who, who run businesses and are, you know, run their organizations, but also who run book clubs at their library or who are on a committee at church or something like that. You said that you chose books that you brought today as the books you love that are adamant recommendations for you. And Mm -hmm. this is one of mine. I'm not saying we have similar taste. I'm just saying, although I think we do in some ways, I'm just saying- I love this book. So I have in mind The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters by Priya Parker. I read this book with a specific purpose in mind, and it's going to sound so boring. And maybe it is, but the book is not. I asked a handful of friends to share tips for running better work meetings in my organization. Like that's what I had in mind. How do I bring people together in person and on Zoom, how our team usually meets and have it be really productive and feel good and work well towards our culture and get done what we need to get done. Just an absolutely uncanny number recommended this book, which is not at all what I expected. I would have expected the book I was looking for on running better meetings to be called something like how to run better meetings and the subtitle. (laughs) And that's not, that's not what it is. So something I really liked in this book is how Priya Parker has so much respect for the deep significance of bringing people together, both because the purpose matters and people are coming together. Mm -hmm. And she talks about these little design choices, just tiny things the organizer can make that can really make or break the experience of coming together. And she does talk about things like work meetings, but she's also talking about huge, amazing dinners that people travel all over the world to come to. And Mm -hmm. she has this one story called Never Start a Funeral with Logistics, where she describes basically how a really like potentially meaning laden moment, you know, a time of like reverence and anticipation and expectation was totally blown when they started by saying, yeah, somebody left their lights on. She's like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's talk about how, how to do things differently. So she, she looks at why some gatherings work and why others really don't. What I really love about 
an, an author like her in a book like this is you think that running your business meeting isn't anything like a funeral, but that there's four takeaways in that story that you could apply that matter when you're gathering your family for dinner or a special event right. or when you're getting together with friends for girls night. Like she talks about the little design choices that make a big difference. Oh, that's so good. I am into it. I'm getting all three. I am thrilled to hear it. I can't wait to hear what you think. Maddie, before we find out what you think you'll read next, I'd love to hear more about what you've been writing lately. You announced not too long ago that you have your own nonfiction book coming out soon. I'd love to hear more about that and for you to share that with our listeners. So yeah, I wrote my very first book, which I'm so excited about, which as like a, as an avid reader, I both overthought it. <laughs> but then at the same time, I think throughout like that second draft, I kind of just released myself and wrote the book that I was supposed to write. It's called Everyday Magic. And the subtitle is The Joy of Not Being Everything and Still Being More Than Enough. This book is about joy and the simplicity of everyday things. I just don't want people's joy to be exclusive to a birthday or when they travel because I think joy is, I guess, sort of unpopular nowadays. Like every, I just feel like everything we talk about becomes deep or we talk about trauma or anything like that. And I understand that those things exist. It's, it's important to be deep sometimes. And there are some, you know, horrible and traumatic things that are going on in the world. But I do, I did want to shift our focus. And I, and I hope that this book does that. You deserve a good life. I can imagine readers reading this book in the morning to set their yes. theme <laughs> for the day. And readers, Everyday Magic is set to release later this month on August 23rd. Pre-order it now wherever you buy your new books. Maddie, now it's time to hear what you think of the books we talked about today. 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do by Amy Morin. The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. And finally, The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. What do you think you'll read next? It's a it's a tie between 13 things mentally strong women don't do and the art of gathering. That's not what I thought you were going to say. I am here for being surprised. I like yeah. it. Did you think I was going to say the checklist manifesto? No, I thought you were going to say Oliver Bur Burtman because it's in your oh, app. Oh, yes, it is in my app. But two things. I tend to gravitate towards male authors a lot is I want to read books by women a lot more. Also, those two things really matter to me. Like being mentally strong matters to me and bringing people together matters to me. These two books speak to that specifically and they are by uh, authors who are women. And so I'm, I'm going to gravitate towards those two first. I love it. And I love your reasons. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how excited I am. You know, when you when you hook your friend up with like, you're like, okay, you know, I know they're looking for this kind of person and they go out on this blind date with like the person you suggested and it, it's a hit. That's kind of how I feel like with these <laughs> books. Like these are book dates you're putting me on and I'm very excited to date them. <laughs> like I'm very excited. So thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Thanks for letting me be matchmaker today. <laughs> Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Maddie and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. Let us know on Instagram at what should I read next or leave a comment on the show notes page at what should I read next podcast.com slash 342. Learn more about Maddie's work at maddiejames.com. Maddie is M-A-T-T-I-E, maddiejames.com, including those details on her new book, Everyday Magic, The Joy of Not Being Everything and Still Being More Than Enough. That comes out August 23rd. 
Grab a link to her book and all the books we talked about today in our show notes. Those are at what should I read next podcast.com slash 342. You should know Maddie is one of my favorite Instagram follows. Connect with her there at Maddie James. And if you're on Instagram, find the show at what should I read next? And I'm there at Ann Bogle. That's Ann with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Get weekly updates on the show right in your inbox with our newsletter. Sign up at what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter. Follow us on your favorite podcast app so you'll be sure to catch next week's episode where I'll be talking with a reader who has a secret love for a genre we don't talk about a whole lot around here on the show. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with production assistance by Holly Wukachewski and sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.